0: Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson.
1: Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week I'm speaking with Craig Cottle. Now, he is a survivor expert. He uh, just he does so many different things, but he teaches courses on uh, wilderness survival. He teaches courses on tracking. That's both human tracking and animal tracking. He teaches disaster readiness, all these kind of things. Uh, we, we cover so much. You may be listening to this and saying, Jackson, I live in a city of 2 million people. I am not going out in the woods. I do not care about wilderness survival i don't care about any of this well that's where disaster uh disaster readiness comes in and and having more of those people guess what that makes it more and more necessary to know uh, what to do when things go bad because a lot of people are going to be doing things that maybe uh maybe it's not beneficial to you and you survival uh so i think you'll enjoy that part those that are 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 big on you know wilderness you're going to like that too uh he's i mean he's going to teach you today nothing more important than how to stay alive uh some some advice on the wilderness aspect and the things you should pack if you're going out in the woods whether it's for a hike camping or or trying your your luck at uh survival a little bit of a spoiler if you don't have experience don't try that um he's going to teach you let's say you're in the city and you know. hurricane comes or a pandemic comes we had one of those very recently um you know uh earthquake comes all those type of things he's going to teach you disaster readiness and what you should do at that uh, at that moment and and how you should uh keep yourself safe and then what you should be doing already to uh, to make sure that you you've set yourself up in a good spot uh he's going to tell us about some of the organizations he works with in in helping them uh when it comes to uh Survival, so in that tracking and, and all that kind of stuff, he's worked with the um, FBI, the DEA, Border Patrol, all these type of things. He's helped uh, with their with their skills, their techniques. Uh, he also helps the public. He has a uh, a survival school that teaches both in person and online. We'll talk all about that. Uh, I always like to ask the question about reality TV. He's going to cover exactly how he feels about. Reality TV in the in this world, things like Survivor, things like Naked and Afraid, all that kind of things. Think you'll be interested in his responses there. Uh, he's also going to kind of address kind of an elephant in the room when it comes to these type of things. And some people listen to you know survival talk and think, okay, these are these are people that are a little bit uh, out of touch with reality. You know the the doomsday people, the the. Uh, uh, conspiracy theorists, that type of thing. He's going to talk about those in in the community, how he feels about that, and uh, kind of the the noise when it comes to comes to that sort of thing. Really, really fascinating guy. I think you're going to really enjoy this. How he became who he is, uh, the books he's written in this world, and how you can pick those up some really good tips for you like I already said about survival so you won't want to miss this one and uh, you know I'll I'll quit talking and and let Craig talk because he's got a lot of really important things to say so here is Craig Cottle I'm here today with Craig Cottle Mr. Cottle how are you
0: I'm doing good good to be here
1: yeah good to have you if you would just introduce yourself
0: yeah so I'm Craig Cottle I'm the director of Nature Reliance School uh, headquartered in Kentucky Um, nature-reliant schools in the business of training people in backcountry skills, as well as uh, I'm an author of several books. So that's, we do a lot of things with the federal government, uh, state governments, as well as a lot of civilians as well.
1: Yeah. And I want to kind of touch on, on each of those, those areas, but I want to kind of start with how did you yourself kind of get involved in this? Uh, How did you, I guess, start the the life outdoors or, or the survival area? Have you always just been somebody who didn't like to go inside or were you somebody that this was like a learned skill later in life or, or where, uh, where are you at with all that?
0: That's a, uh, that's a great question. So I'm 53. So I grew up in a time where going outside and playing in the outdoors was a pretty normal thing for the area in which I grew up. So being outside was just rather natural uh, one of those go outside as soon as you wake up in the summertime and come back in when the street lights come on kind of kid. Okay. And uh, so I really enjoyed that. I grew up in a family that liked to hunt, liked to camp. Uh, and also the thing that was a little bit different maybe about my family is that we did a lot of what's typically referred to as period correct reenacting. Oh. So we jumped, we dressed up like Daniel Boone, if you will, and shot black powder rifles and shotguns and wore a lot of leather and all that sort of thing and and basically reenacted history and so that's where I started to do what a lot of people today call survival but to me it was just a lot of fun just learning how to live off the land learn how to be very comfortable in the outdoors and that kind of that kind of got me started as a as a kid and that has continued on till now <laughs> and I'm still I guess a big kid
1: in the outdoors mm. I like that. And I, I just wonder, so you said that you kind of did the, the reenacting thing. Was it just simply for fun within your family? Did you guys go to like those reenactments and go to the encampments or what was that like?
0: Yeah, we did some of the encampments, uh, what we would typically call a rendezvous. Hmm. And then a lot of it was just my family just doing it for fun. Hmm. And so Um, you know, it's, it's when a lot of people were using modern firearms for hunting or what have you, a lot of times we would use black powder firearms. Uh, Some of the time we would dress the part as a frontiersman or something of that nature. And just, you know, I'm a lover of history. I guess that's where I got started loving history. And so it was a lot of fun just doing that sort of thing. And, and um, especially doing it as a family. And I had an extended family that was around me, uncles and cousins and, we would all engage in that sort of thing. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a great, great childhood. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like you came to came to this world very, very naturally as much as it would be awesome for somebody to be like, you know, I started in survival four years ago. I moved to the country from Seattle. I feel like it's even more awesome that you've just been literally living it your, your whole life
0: yeah I get that question in the survival and preparedness and what's also called the bushcraft communities. a lot of people do that sort of thing for a hobby and I'll get asked the question on a pretty regular basis how long you been doing bushcraft or how long you been doing survival and you know their answer to that question is I've been doing it five years, ten years, 12 years whatever and my answer is I've been doing it for decades <laughs> uh, and again it's it's what they do as a hobby I've done, for enjoyment, for even vacations and stuff of that nature when I was younger. And now I do it for a living.
1: Yeah. And I want to, I, like I was telling you before we started, you know, this isn't at all an outdoors podcast at all, a survival podcast. So I want to break things down before we kind of go any further, because you've already said some, some things that people may be like, I'm already lost. So tell just people feel like survival. That's a pretty easy one, but kind of break down what, what these different words are and maybe the differences. So between, you know the survival world, the just the outdoors world, the disaster preparedness, and then the the bushcraft. I feel like that would be the one that people would be most most confused by. But kind of break those down, if you would.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So what gets lumped together is uh, under the category of what a lot of people would just say is survival are things like you just mentioned. Let's talk about let's talk about one of them. Homesteading is one. Homesteading is where people farm or they. They have a small hobby farm and they raise chickens and maybe some other uh, farm animals, domestic animals. Uh, Maybe they make their own butter. Maybe they have a large farm, what have you. That's a homesteader uh, doing that sort of thing. That's somebody that not necessarily living off the land, but living close to the land and trying to take care of their own needs as best they can. A survival person is somebody who engages in, as typically in this truest sense is somebody engages in the hobby of survivalism where they practice survival tactics, whether it's an urban event, like a, you know, some sort of active shooter or something of that nature, all the way up to something like wilderness survival, uh, which is what I teach a lot of wilderness survival. Uh, Wilderness survival could be something where a lost person gets, gets, into a forested area gets turned around how do they handle themselves if they have to stay the night outside Uh, disaster readiness disaster preparedness is what is typically understood by how to prepare yourselves for natural and man-made disasters things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and what if there was a you know what if putin currently uh, carries through with his threat of utilizing a tactical nuclear weapon and what if he does that in our country? How would we handle ourselves? And a lot of this gets lumped into a lot of conspiracy theory type um, personalities and a lot of people that take it to an extreme. But really, the way I approach the subject is just being more resilient and being more self-reliant and being able to take my own take care of my own needs rather than depending upon
1: somebody else. Yeah, I think that's a good good breakdown. And you kind of brought up something that I hadn't even thought about, but now that I now that you did it, it is something that would, I guess is probably good to address because I I do feel like some people you, you hear about in the community are those conspiracy theorists and those who, you know, think the, the world is about to end. How much of, of this, uh, community is that, that is, you know, saving rations for the next 12 years, just in case they got to stay underground and how much of it is really just more of, of what I, I am assuming you're doing and, and more of a, not, not not the hobby side, but not necessarily the, uh, I guess, conspiracy side of things.
0: You know, I, I really wish I could put a percentage on it, but I can't. But it's like most things that people engage in. It's the people that are a little bit out there, the anomaly in the data, if you will, mm-hmm. that get a lot of attention, the conspiracy theory types know, uh, if I were to make a guess, I would say that's 10 to 15 percent of the people that actually do survival and disaster readiness. The rest of us are people. I mean, COVID was a perfect example. You know, there were people that were fighting over things like toilet paper, which is the oddest and silliest thing that I can imagine. When somebody like myself has enough toilet paper, if we're looking at something as simple as that, to, to last through something like a COVID event. And it's not like I'm, I'm living life one roll of toilet paper at a time, nor do I have uh, massive amounts of food to last me in a bunker for years on end. But I do have what I would consider enough uh, supplies to take care of myself in a basic fundamental, uh, even surprise event, something like COVID or, you know, a disaster of some sort where I can take care of my needs and those that I care about.
1: That's important. I think we all learned a, a little bit about that. Just like you said, when it comes to comes to the, the COVID world and, and what we all live through there. I do want to kind of ask you too, because it is almost trendy and viral for people to go out and explore and try their hand at living off the grid, take their Instagram pictures and probably get back to the hotel. So I just wonder exactly what mistakes people make when when they're they're trying this out. I, I would assume just going out there and thinking you can do it your, your, yourself without any training is probably not a, a great move, but talk about some of the other mistakes people make.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest mistake is what you just described and that is that there's a lot in the community of survival listing and, and and when I say a lot, you know they just get a lot of press, maybe not the largest percentage of actual people taking care of themselves. That had the mindset of what we in this community of people call a lone wolf type of syndrome where, hey, I'm going to run off in the woods. I'm going to live off the land the rest of my life and and it's going to be glorious and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions and foolhardy things that somebody should consider doing. It's I've spent two 30-day trips, two separate 30-day trips into the wilderness to live off the land. And all I took with me was a knife. Now, I did that when I was a much younger man, and I learned that that in and of itself is pretty foolhardy. Uh, I did really well the first time I went in. The weather was temperate and no problems. I went back the second go around, the second 30 day trip, and experienced near starvation, close to death. And it was, you know, it was a recognition that I didn't have the skills that I thought I had. And it's just nearly, impossible for the average person to be able to do something like that. So I think that would be the mis- big biggest misconception. Uh, the second one I think would be that we as a as humans are, are gear tool users, if you will. And so a lot of people in this community of survivalists, if you will, they focus heavily upon buying stuff. And they think that buying this or buying that is the way to fix their problems when in reality, it's what I like to call the four puzzle pieces of survival, mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. It takes all four. So developing a bulletproof mindset or a strong mindset to handle adversity skills are just the requisite skills that anybody should have in the survival situation, how to take care of thermoregulation, how to purify and filter water, how to you know, build a shelter, how to find food. And then uh, tactics is my fancy word for teamwork. Just how do you work with others? Uh, A lot of situations where people have died either in a wilderness experience or even a disaster experience have come, not necessarily because they had a bad mindset and didn't have any skills. It's just, they didn't have the ability to lead and follow when both of those are required. And then again, gear is something that's beneficial but it's not the end all to be all. And when mindset skills and tactics fail, then gear should step in and help you take care of some of the areas where you might be deficient.
1: Yeah. And what I mean, the, the, the huge thing that I took away from that is we've already talked about your experience in this field. And if in the second time you did that, if that was something that was a challenge for for you, I feel like the people should probably take uh take a look at that and, and think that, you know, if, if they don't have any skills yet, that it's not going to be, it's not going to be an easy thing at all. So I uh, I really appreciate that, I, that explanation. And you talked about tools um, and, and all of the other areas that I think are, are learned skills, those tactics, the skills behind it. Those are things that, you know, take training and and, and actually research and, and learning it. Um, but the tool area if somebody does have you know the the proper training what i guess what tools do you think are the, the most important uh if people can just pack a backpack what the what's the most important tools to to survive obviously a knife is imp- must be a huge one given that's all you took for the for for your trips but if, if they can take just a little bit more than that what uh what do you recommend
0: yeah that was definitely a wilderness focused event so that was a little bit different Mm -hmm. um, than what I would say the typical person should be preparing themselves for. Uh, The first thing to go along with your question is that I think we need to have a mindset of what we should be doing in those types of situations. Again, I think there's an emphasis on bug out bags and grab bags and, and the stuff that you, you leave a place and you go running somewhere and you're supposed to be safe when, in reality, the better mindset is to stay in place. You know, if that's your home, then stay there, make sure that it's taken care of and you've got the necessary requirements there with you. But to to get directly to your question, if there were things that we would pack, they would have to surround what I refer to as our needs rather than our wants. A lot of people will pack a lot of our wants rather than the things that we actually need. And the things that we need in order is that we need things to, and I, you know, I'm going to be general here because uh, I'm guessing your audience is pretty diverse and far reaching as far as geography is concerned. So mm-hmm. what I would pack here in Kentucky is going to be very different from somebody listening in Alaska. And then again, somebody different in Florida. So, you know, we have to have something first off for first aid. I, I'm a huge fan of studying first aid, having first aid supplies, and that includes trauma medicine, things like tourniquet and hemostatic agents to stop large wounds. Uh, beyond that, I think the second thing we would need is something to thermal our bodies, help us stay in homeostasis. Uh, that's you know the the clothing that we wear, um, the extra clothing we might take with us to to uh, maintain our viability as a as a as a species as a person as a body the things that we need to regulate our body temp uh, after that i would suggest that everybody has filtration and purification tablets for water and a container to put it in and then after that it would be some sort of calorie some sort of food to give you energy to get the things done mm-hmm. typically in your most situations people want to go directly to food but in reality you can live a very long time and you can actually be somewhat productive without eating food for a couple of weeks. It's not going to be fun, but if you don't have thermal regulation, then you're not going to make it but a few hours. If, if the temperatures are at an extreme.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't have, I feel like that would have been something I would have thought would have been early on too, is the food. So yeah, I, uh, that that's, that's insightful for sure. Um, I want to know kind of, you because you work in in both areas when it comes to the wilderness area and then the disaster preparedness part what what is the differences when it comes to preparing for both um which one obvi- obviously it depends obviously with with what kind of disaster we're talking about too but which one do you think takes um more preparedness
0: Wow, that's a good question. And I think both of them require a fair amount of preparedness in totally different ways. Typically, in a wilderness setting, your whole goal is to find other people or get other people to find you. And then in an urban situation, probably the best solution for you is to get away from as many people as possible and stay safe. Hmm. If you think about riots and and stuff of that nature or some man-made or natural disaster in a large metropolitan city, A lot of the deaths come from uh, people just getting very stressed and doing terrible things when they're under heaping amounts of stress. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was a great example. The flooding in Texas over the last few years has been a a great example. Uh, Some of the things that have happened in Florida as far as hurricanes. Um, People can be very mean when they are – in, in a position where they might die. And so they don't take care of other humans very well. So avoiding humans would be a solution in a large Metro city and disaster readiness. And then again, in a, in a wilderness setting where you're lost, then you got to set yourself up for success for other people finding you. And so that would be the, the distinct differences, I believe.
1: That, that makes some sense too. And I want to ask you too, cause I, yeah. I, I noticed as well that, uh, you you talk about tracking is a huge part of, of what you do and, and, you know, in the survival world. So talk a little bit about what tracking is.
0: Okay. Tracking is constitutes two very distinct disciplines. What I would call animal tracking for the purpose of, of uh, hunting or trapping or um, biology study, uh, you know, like a wildlife biologist or something of that nature. And then the other segment of things that I do, the other, side of that is what i call or what not just i call but a lot of people call man tracking and there's several variants of that there's man tracking for search and rescue for finding a lost person there's man tracking for law enforcement to find and apprehend fugitives and then there's there's a combat man tracking where you find finishing the enemy and so there's very distinct pieces and parts to every one of those styles of tracking and um but tracking is basically what I I call heightened situational awareness. So if you can read the ground, if you can read the other signs that might be on the ground or above the ground, then you have more of an awareness of what's going on around you. And then you can make appropriate decisions, whether it's for your own safety or heck, maybe you're trying to figure out what's getting in your garbage at night. And you determine that it's a, a raccoon and not a cat. And then, the way you approach that would be two distinctly different ways. But knowing that by looking at the tracks that are on your garbage cans, you know, it's a raccoon, then, then you can make the appropriate decision on how to handle that situation.
1: You said that it's a, it's a really important part of the survival world. So what makes it so important?
0: Again, it, it goes back to that situation awareness. So mm-hmm. if I can read the ground and know, You know, for example, if I can read the ground and know what's happening up in front of me before I get there, because somebody's walked in front of me, or if I can try to catch a trespasser, for example, somebody that might be on a farm that I own and I try to find where they're coming in, Hmm. then that will help me make the determination on how I need to handle that. And so... You know, I, I train a lot. That's what I'm doing this week is I'm training some law enforcement man trackers. And you know, if somebody's a bad actor and they kill somebody or, or rape somebody and then they go running somewhere, uh, I train people to go hunt that person down and bring them to justice. So that makes everything a little bit safer uh, in the world that surrounds us. And so uh, I enjoy being part of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I want you to talk a little bit about the organizations that you. Uh, that you train and, and the things that you do, because you have made a, a career out of it. And, and, you know, we're talking about tracking people, um, you know, so, and you are working with organizations that are, you know, that, that they're, you know, actual police forces. We're not talking about vigilante justice or anything here. So let's talk about what, what, uh, what uh, organizations you, you work with and, and how you kind of transitioned your passion into a, uh, a career.
0: Yeah, uh, I've been very fortunate to develop a reputation as a, as having a certain amount of skill that's useful in the world of tracking. And that's led me to be able to train uh, several branches of federal law enforcement, uh, FBI, DEA, U.S. Border Patrol, U.S. Marshals, um, U.S. Forest Service. Uh, I've had opportunity to train all of those folks in, that are in law enforcement branches of those different agencies, I've worked with a couple of state agencies here in my home state of Kentucky and then several local uh, search and rescue teams, sheriff's offices, a couple of police departments and uh, emergency management type folks here in my state, as well as I actually have gone to other states and I train regularly in areas surrounding Kentucky. And then I've, I've been out to Utah and Texas and trained people in tracking in those areas, too, out west. So that's that's. Um, yeah, quite a range of folks been very fortunate to, to have those opportunities. And I, I love, I love helping people put, um, people that deserve to be in jail in jail. Uh, I really enjoy being
1: a part of that. Mm. So what does that, what does that kind of training look like? Are you, is it is it specifically tracking that you're, you're doing, are you training people on this, um, you know, the outdoors side of thing too? Or what, when, when the FBI comes or the, D.A. or all these different things you're talking about, what, what kind of training are you providing?
0: Uh, I do quite a bit of survival and disaster readiness as well as tracking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and, well, and I should add in there land navigation. So the course I'm teaching this week is, is a combination of man tracking and land navigation. So basically what is involved there is teaching not, I'm, I've never been in the military, never been in law enforcement, so I'm not one to teach what's typically referred to as small unit tactics and, and how to shoot firearms and how to form up as a team to shoot those firearms. That's not my wheelhouse. What is in my wheelhouse is knowing how to walk into particularly a rural environment and be able to live off the land and take care of yourself, be a self-sufficient team. And that includes being able to read the ground and and set up secure perimeters of safety as, as well as how to go into the woods and again, hunt down bad people that do bad things. And so sometimes, you know, a man tracking event might lead to, okay, we're going out on track and now we're going to be out here overnight. We didn't expect to be. So how do we handle ourselves? And so that basically goes into a survival situation where you learn how to thermoregulate you know how to find and take care of your water needs as a team and so i do a, a fair amount of that
1: mm. so so people that are listening that that aren't in law enforcement they're not in military um what, what kind of things do you provide i know you have the the nature reliance school is this strictly for those that are you know in in i guess a non-civilian position or do you provide classes that are are for civilians as well
0: Yeah, actually, the majority, well, it actually goes back and forth, dependent upon the season, dependent, it's really dependent upon the economy. If, when the economy is going really well and everybody's happy, then I see a lot of civilians and I see very few government contracts. When the economy starts to tank then my government work always picks up and civilians, you know, they don't have as much disposable income, so they won't come to class. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting dichotomy, if you will and so yeah i mean like right now the economy is not doing very well at all and so you know i'm not seeing as many civilians but my government work has picked up so uh, that it's it's pretty interesting to see how that goes down when there's uh situations where people are concerned and thinking war might happen again or some of that nature then classes will pick back up but it's uh i'll teach Anybody that wants to come to a class, I love teaching civilians. I love my government work as
1: well. I got you. Yeah, I think it's a definitely an interesting, interesting thing. So when you say that you, the it, it, is it? I would assume it's all a in person thing. I mean, in today's world, there's so much that is online. I don't feel like you can do all this online. But just I want to cover it, cover the way that you teach it.
0: Yeah, I actually have both. I have an online school the, at naturereliance.org, which is my website. I have an online um, NRS membership where I teach a lot of different courses online. Mm-hmm. Again, the way I one of the things that's a hallmark of what I do in those courses is that I teach material almost, you know, well, I teach material on video format. But uh, along with it, I'm teaching people how to continue their training on their own. Hmm. Uh, that all that online membership developed out of the fact that my my books got me a lot of international exposure, and uh, I've been on a couple of you know TV type shows and helped things on TV, and so those things uh, got me some larger exposure, and people were just wanting to train. And, uh, you know, particularly people in other countries were having difficulty getting to Kentucky to train. And so we started the online school to help people even in Kentucky and, and elsewhere. have got a lot of people from throughout the world, part of that. But yeah, the the majority of what we do is spent teaching people in person. Mm-hmm. And so that's a large segment of what it is that we do. And and I spent a lot of time on the road going to different places and training my government contracts. And then a lot of people come to me for training as well.
1: I got you, Yeah. And you talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the, some of the TV work. I think that's a good transition into one of my favorite questions because I've talked to people, you know, in the paranormal world, the people in the, you know, the picking world, all kinds of different reality areas and i always like to know exactly how real is reality tv in certain genres so survival they have their own uh, reality shows too naked and afraid survivor the the bear grills or however you say his name uh, he's got a show too how how real are these uh these survival shows
0: you know i like to call those shows edutainment Mm-hmm and what I mean by that is that, and I didn't come up with that word. Somebody else did. I can't even remember where I heard it the first time, but there's there's just enough education on there for you to feel like you're learning something. But for the most part, they're entertainment and they are put together to sell commercials. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't, even though the people that are on the shows are experiencing life in reality, um, particularly something like the show alone uh, there is some stuff that that happens on like shows like Naked and Afraid, that is you know those people are really experiencing some of those hardships, but at the same time, you know the way that it's edited, the way it's put together, and what happens behind the scenes that we don't really know, uh, these are all things that that um, show that it's an entertainment sort of programming rather than education. The TV work that I've done has been typically on um, public educational television uh, where I've been interviewed or I've been asked to come on a show and demonstrate or talk about different things. And it really, you know, public educational television is not really the, the most entertaining thing in the world, but it's definitely educational. And so that's kind of where my work gravitates when I've been on screen.
1: Yeah, and that's that's generally the answer. That you know, it, the the big thing is to sell sell uh, commercials and get people to want to come back after that commercial too. So, got to always think about the the whether it's clipping together the most interesting parts because I'm sure you know surviving in the wilderness for thirty days wasn't nonstop action. A lot of it was probably sitting around, re- you know, trying to reserve some energy. So that doesn't make for do- great TV. So I understand. Correct. I understand that, and you, you said that it provides just just enough education but a lot of entertainment. So do you think that these type of shows um, are beneficial because they do provide a little bit of education to people if they find themselves in a bad situation, or does it do more harm because it makes people think they can do things they can't do?
0: I think the latter is the answer to that question. Uh, I think people live vicariously through people they watch on TV and YouTube even, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And so they watch people when they think they've learned something, and they think they can recreate it. And one of the more famous quotes that I I like to use in discussions like this is that we will not rise to the occasion, but rather we'll default to our level of training. Mm-hmm. And so that is really how a lot of that plays out in my mind. People get entertained, they watch, they do learn something, and then they think they have that as part of their skill set, and they really don't unless they've actually put it to practice and testing and training and so that is a a real distinction that i think is worthy of people considering when they're watching these shows
1: yeah yeah have you ever have you had ever had any interest in in being on any of these shows
0: yeah i've had interest before uh i'm an educator not an entertainer so I've looked for opportunities to teach people on a much larger scale. And I've seriously considered some of these programs to, to be able to do that. Um, But my social media influence is pretty significant that I've, that I, and those that support me have been able to accomplish on its own without um, what I would consider, you know, having to go on a TV show Um, because really, I mean, I've got good friends that have been on these TV shows and, and, Editors make them out to be something that they're really not. Mm. And so I didn't want to fall victim to being used as entertainment and editing something that I may have said a certain way so that it sounds like I'm saying something I never intended. So uh, even though I have considered because I wanted that larger audience, if you will. Uh, I haven't ever pulled the plug on it. I mean, I would love to do one that's very educational. There's a couple that I've had opportunities for that they might very well come through sometime. Um, And if they do, I'll be excited to be able to do that. But until then I'll, I'll continue educating people as best I can.
1: No, I I like that. Well, we'll, we'll stay tuned. This is, this is your question I pulled um, and I'm interested in, I guess, I guess the answer and it's what part of the survival industry is the most out of touch with reality
0: um what's typically referred to as doomsday preppers there was actually a show about this called doomsday preppers Mm. but these are people that spend a lot of time just reading stuff on the internet a lot of time in forums or on facebook going back and forth with uh, idiotic details and and who can come up with the greatest hack for you know how would you use a belt to do this uh these are these are people that don't actually prepare themselves for much of nothing other than good conversation with like-minded friends. Um, And when I say like-minded friends, friends, not like me. I mean, people like themselves that like to talk about worst case scenarios and, and very, what I would consider mostly unlikely scenarios rather than talking about the things that actually occur on a regular basis. You know, hurricanes are a regular thing that happens every year to us. And very few people in those areas, Prepare appropriately for them, and they should be. And that's an unfortunate circumstance in our modern age.
1: Mm, I gotcha. So we're we're kind of we're going back to those that that ten to fifteen percent we talked about earlier. That's that is kind of into the conspiracies, or they're preparing for, I guess, alien invasion all the time.
0: Yeah, you know that might be one of the conspiracies. Um, I don't really keep up with a lot of those folks. I can, <laughs> yeah. I can see that being, I can see that being something that would happen though. Um, But it's, it is, yeah, they kind of go out of the, you know, they can, they kind of go off the ranch <laughs> at times and and it's just unfortunate.
1: I got you. And I mean, does the rest of the community, I mean, what, what is generally the the thought process behind, you know, how do you, how do you treat that world? Is it something that you're, Kind of distasteful for because you it kind of gives the rest of the community a bad name. Is something you just want people not to keep asking you about because you're like this is this uh, if we don't feed it it, it won't uh, it won't thrive or or where do you think with that kind of thing?
0: I think you said it very well. I think most of the people that are from my community of people like the nature Reliance school community, people that trained with me online or in person or reading my books or whatever. Uh, these are people that look at those, those other, prepe- you know, preppers, I guess, doomsday prepper types, and there's they just lament what it is that they're doing. And most of the people in the community that I work with, they're just wanting to be self-reliant. They don't want to be dependent upon the government necessarily for, you know, when bad times happen, they want to be able to take care of their own needs. And so uh, that's the kind of folks that I work with. And these doomsday preppers are, you know, probably anti-government, if you will. And always always wanted, you know, anarchist type mindset. And that's just not some, something I'm a fan of.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And and you've kind of mentioned the books a few times. Tell us a little bit about the books that you've, that you've written and then exactly what people are going to, uh, to find if they crack one open.
0: Okay. So I've written, thank you for asking. I've written several. Uh, My first book was extreme wilderness survival as the title notes, it's about survival and it, and it covers what I mentioned earlier, the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear of wilderness survival. My second book was Ultimate Wilderness Gear, which goes beyond survival by a long way. It talks about mountain biking and canoeing, kayaking, backpacking, a little bit of survival, uh, all the things that you might buy. Uh, to to be able to do those effectively. It's not a buyer's guide as much as it is an encyclopedia of gear. For example, in there, I talk about the pros and cons of the different types of down that you might get in a jacket or a vest or a sleeping bag. And I talk about other insulators and I talk about filters and purifiers and what works and what doesn't work. Uh, My third book was Essential Wilderness Navigation. I co-wrote that with another instructor with my school, Tracy Trimble. Uh, He and I put that book together uh, basically as a continuation of our land navigation coursework where we taught people in that book how to utilize map and compass and GPS to successfully navigate in rural areas. And we have dedicated chapters in there for law enforcement, military, search and rescue, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. We've got all sorts of things in that book. Um, My fourth book was a book called Vital Survival, which is not available for purchase. Uh, Unless you get into my online membership, it's actually part of an online course inside of my online membership called Vital Survival. Uh, It's a pretty extensive book and it covers more of the urban disaster preparedness type mindset rather than just rural. And then my latest book is a book, The Secret Signs of Nature. It's my first children's book and it goes into great detail. About how to read nature signs, whether it be weather forecasting or animal corridor travels, or how the sun affects trees, and all the things that you can read about it.
1: Now, those are all really, really important areas. And I just wonder because I, I know that you know at the, the heart of things that you you want to educate people and you want to you want to reach people where they are. Whether it's listening to your your, your classes, whether it's uh, reading all this type of stuff coming on coming on here. How did you, did you enjoy writing these books? Is it something that you actually enjoyed, you know, creating these books or is it more that you wanted just to make sure that you, you, you reach people? Cause there's so plenty of people I've talked to that write books that is, didn't necessarily love it. They just want to, they want to, to reach people where they are.
0: Uh, that's it. Exactly. I would call each one of the books that I've written definitely labors of love. Uh my, my intention has always been to try to instruct and teach and educate and help people. I'm a big fan of the outdoors. Uh, we've done a lot of programming for the federal government as it relates to helping people with post-traumatic stress. Uh, we know, uh, whether it's from the military or just daily life, people in general that have stress, that being in the outdoors is helpful it's not the end all answer to that sort of mindset and issues, Mm -hmm. but it definitely helps. And so I love getting people outside and I love getting people outside safely. And so all my books have had at their core that as part of the, I guess you could say my mission statement of getting people outside. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is the intent of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, you know, there's, anybody that writes that wants to sell a book has a little bit of ego in them. Mm. They want to be, they want to write stuff. And I never, I never had the type of ego that I hear other writers or authors have, and that they wanted to be seen as a writer. I don't necessarily feel that I'm an author. I I still, I feel like I'm an educator and I use books to educate. Mm. And so uh, I've got some good friends that are fantastic authors and writers and they work on the craft of writing, and, and as whereas I work on the craft of educating and helping people grow, and so where uh, my writing might take a backseat to my education of people, where their writing will be at the forefront, and maybe their education takes a backseat to the writing.
1: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so, if somebody's listening, you know, they're they're not in this world yet. They but they're they're interested in learning more. So they're kind of at the base level. So they, they don't know very much of the the technicalities. What's the, what's the book of yours that you would recommend picking up as, as kind of a, a first book, a good, good introduction. And if it's the kids book, that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of really good kids books that teach us a lot of stuff. So Yeah, I think,
0: I think it would be my first book, extreme wilderness survival. It, it builds a foundation of what I mentioned earlier, because it's a hallmark of how I teach mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. And it's not, it's not what I would consider. Well, compared to other books, it's not as popular as other survival books. The main reason is I wrote five chapters in that book on mindset development. Uh, when I did the research on how people died or experienced tragedy in the wilderness. It it, A lot of them came down to poor mindset development, uh, Mm -hmm. people that didn't know how to control their ego so and and stuff of that nature. So I wrote five chapters on that, which is hard for people to understand in the survival community because they're all about gear and they're all about fire building and stuff like that. So that book in and of itself is is a lot of a self-help book for the first five chapters, really. Mm -hmm. It's how to develop a a strong mind that you can apply in a wilderness survival event or you can uh, apply in the boardroom. And so that would be, that would definitely be my first recommendation.
1: I I, I love that because, you know, in, I, I've talked to so many people in so many areas, whether it's Olympic gold medalists to actors and now to you. And I feel like you, y- it doesn't matter. You know, you talked about how all the, the skills you have or all the tactics you have or the tools you have in anything. If you don't have the mindset that you're going to be successful or that you, you know, you're not gonna fail at something, then it, you, all the rest doesn't matter. I, I feel like mindset is the most important thing in pretty much everything in life, so I, I, it only makes sense that it would it would matter here too.
0: It does. Uh, it's just for the typical person in the survival community, disaster readiness type group of people, they just bypass it for some of the stuff that I call a sexier. Mm -hmm. you know, the skill building, the fire building, shelter building, and the gear, who's got the shiniest, coolest knife. Mm -hmm. And that sort of stuff gets bypassed in, in my writing for the focus of things like how to communicate effectively, how to be a good leader when you need to be a good leader, how to be a good follower when you need to be a good follower, how to listen well, how to know how to control your ego. There's a big difference between cocky and being confident. And, you know, these are topics that I like to cover and it just seems to be missed in most survival communities.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love I love that for sure. And I want to kind of talk about your your community and anyone who's had the success that you've had with this has a, a strong support system. So I want to talk about you know your support system. Do you? I don't know whether you you're married or 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 what, but um, th- those around you. Do you surround yourself with a lot of people that are? are into this, into the same thing, or are you kind of the, the outlier and everyone's like, look at, look at Craig, go, go Craig.
0: It's an interesting question. It's a good one. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for over 30 years now uh, to my, my first wife. <laughs> uh, we've been married uh, for over 30 years. We had two children. Uh, we homeschooled our children all the way through, And so we, and I've been self-employed nearly the whole time that I've been married. So had a very close family, really, really tight. They were part of everything that I did growing up or as they were growing up, my kids and my wife's been the most supportive person in the world. I, I can't imagine doing anything that I've done without her. And yeah, I have surrounded myself with a lot of people that are smarter than me. A lot of people that are highly intelligent. I'm a kind of guy that is very comfortable saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And so I like to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, that can help me and make me smarter and better. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of similar interest uh, it, with the people that I surround myself with. And quite frankly, I've got some people that I like to keep around me that I can confer with that are very, very different than me so that I can understand a You know, differing viewpoints and understand, um, you know, in in a world where we're very divided now as a country here in the US, uh, political division is a big part of that. I like to have friends on both sides of that political division so that when I have a question, I can ask people and they'll be frank with me. And so that is interesting when it comes to survival and disaster readiness, because some people are very opposed to it on one side of the aisle. And uh, a lot of people on the other side of the aisle are very, very supportive of it. And so it's a, it's an interesting, again, another, it's another interesting dichotomy. And so, uh, I love being surrounded by smart people. I, I can summarize by saying that.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's, that's important for sure. And I, I think having those, uh, those opposing views on every on everything, just kind of hearing both sides is always a always a positive. So I want to uh, kind of in wrapping things up, let people know where they can pick up the books, where they can find you, where they can find your school. Just plug away if you would.
0: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. So all my books can be found wherever books are sold, but Amazon's always a good choice. Um, you can look up Craig Coddle, that's C-R-A-I-G, Coddle, C-A-U-D-I-L-L. C-A-U-D-I-L-L. Uh, again, Extreme Wilderness Survival, Ultimate Wilderness gear, and so on. Those are my books. You can find them there. Uh, my website is naturereliance.org. And you can find a lot of my, all the links to my online school there, as well as the in-person classes. Uh, we're on all the social media. You can imagine we're, we're cranking around 85,000 on YouTube and 16,000 on Facebook and Instagram. So we got a pretty decent following there. And we try to offer free education on those social media platforms. And again, offering the paid version of some of that online on our school as well at in-person courses.
1: Well, I uh, I urge people to go check those out. Um, but no, I've, I really, really appreciate your time. I really, really, really insightful. So thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, well thank you for the interview. You're a fantastic interviewer. I appreciate the time.
1: So that's Craig Cottle. Really amazing guy. I learned so much. Just he's he opened my eyes to a lot of different things. When I, I first spoke with him, I first knew that I wanted to have him on. I thought we were mostly gonna talk about, you know, how to be better prepared when it comes to camping or when you find yourself stranded in the the wilderness. And of course we talked about that, that's a huge part, but just the disaster readiness side of things, trying to get away from the rest of the population when something goes bad. I, I didn't expect that, and I my eyes were and Really, really enjoyed listening to um, to him kind of give insight there and, and give us tips there. Uh, I also really enjoyed talking to him about, I guess, kind of the, the conspiracy theorist side of things. Going into this, I wasn't sure exactly where he, he stood with all of that, and uh, I think that it was it was refreshing to hear him kind of talk about that part of things and kind of getting beyond the noise there. And then also, I really really enjoyed him talking about the mental aspect of survival, the mental aspect of of being good at this type of thing. I think that this is a very a world that could definitely find itself being kind of I I don't know the right word, maybe like macho when it comes to it, or, and uh, being able to realize, hey, I got to have a good head on my shoulders. I got to have some good mentality behind me. I, I really, really uh, enjoy listening uh, to that. I think that's a huge aspect of, of all things in life. So that was really awesome. Uh, do check out his books. He mentioned those. They're going to be in the show notes. Check those out. He mentioned the best one for uh, kind of newbies in the field. Go check that one out. Uh, he, of course, mentioned the other ones, too, if, if you're interested there. Give him some love. I know uh, I know you'll really enjoy those books if, if you're interested in this topic. Uh, all of his information will be in the show notes. and uh, Like I said, go check those out. If this is your first time listening to uh, to me, first of all, thank you. Uh, second, if you haven't already, uh, go leave that five star review on Apple and on Spotify. Really would appreciate that. Uh, if you leave a written review on Apple, even more amazing, go check us out on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast, on Facebook, Not Enough with Jackson Huff, jacksonhuff.com. We're everywhere. Really appreciate you there. And uh, yeah, amazing guests to come. A lot of amazing guests in the past, if you haven't checked those out, urge you to do so. But we'll see you next week. Take it away, Chris.
0: This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think. Or, hey,
1: maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.